Welcome. Uh, I'm Alan Alexandrov, and I'm one of the senior editors of the Oxford Journal of Global Summetry. I had the opportunity just recently uh, to interview my colleague, Oliver de la Costa Stunkel, on the 10th BRICS Summit uh, in South Africa. And I thought I would take the opportunity to um, present this podcast with Oliver, uh, episode 8 of the Now Dialogue series on uh, the refugee crisis in Latin America. This appears to be an unmatched uh, crisis uh, of the region, uh, arising from the near collapse of the Venezuelan government, sending hundreds of thousands of refugees from Venezuela uh, to the frontline states in the region, Brazil, Colombia, Peru, Ecuador, and Argentina. I wanted to explore with Oliver what the implications uh, of that crisis are for the region and whether or not there are any regional dimension, regional actions being taken uh, to deal with this enormous humanitarian crisis. Oliver is an associate professor at FGV in uh, Sao Paulo, uh, Brazil. He, um, uh, along with uh, colleagues there, have recently uh, commenced a new uh, uh, school for international relations. Uh, and Oliver himself uh, is widely written scholar uh, on um, global issues, particularly the issues of the rising powers, where he's written quite extensively. So let's join Oliver in conversation on this question of the refugee crisis. Well, it's a real pleasure to have you with us then, Oliver, to talk about uh, the refugee crisis in Latin America. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's a, a topic that I think has gained quite significant, quite a lot of significance over the past uh, uh, months uh, on a regional basis, but still, I think, is little discussed outside of the region. Well, I think that's right. So the, the, the refugee crisis really comes about as a result of the near collapse of Venezuela. As far as I can tell, uh, it's unmatched, uh, this crisis uh, in, the, in the recent history of Latin America. Maybe you can describe a little bit the scope, the extent of the crisis that uh, Latin America is facing and obviously Venezuela itself. Right. So I think uh, it is quite uh, a paradox in a way and it's, uh, because uh, Venezuela has been the only country in Latin America uh, which has not been, uh, has not lived through a dictatorship at the time when the entire region uh, was uh, led by military dictatorships in the 60s and 70s. So Venezuela for a long time was an island of democratic stability uh, and uh, has received uh, those in search uh, for democracy and freedom of speech, etc., uh, from uh, you know the Spanish-speaking world, uh, including Spain, actually. Uh, uh, it, so it's quite interesting that we've seen a dramatic reversal, uh, and Venezuela, a country of about 30 million inhabitants, is seeing an unprecedented collapse. Uh, about 8% of the population has left the country uh, over the past years. Of about 2.3 million Venezuelans have left. Uh, initially, those uh, with the financial means have tried to and have migrated to the United States and Spain. Uh, and now, because of the continuation of the crisis, 
the majority of those leaving uh, has no means to reach either the United States or Europe, and as a consequence is uh, moving, uh, and many times by foot, uh, to neighboring countries. Mm -hmm. uh, so the countries most affected by this crisis are Colombia, uh, Ecuador, uh, Peru, Argentina, and increasingly Brazil. Uh, and I think uh, having spoken to, uh, to migrants, uh, Venezuelan migrants uh, in all the countries mentioned, mm -hmm. I think uh, one of the uh, things that has led to an increase, in, in which, as you rightly say, I think is uh, the largest migratory movement in Latin America right. in such a short period of time uh, in, in recent history. I mean, we have migratory movements from Central America up to, the, to, to North America. Right. Uh, and we have had that for years, but not in such a concentrated period of time. So this is really something quite unprecedented. Uh, yeah, I think the international media and, and analysts don't really associate refugee crisis to Latin America. It's not really a, a region uh, that sees these kinds of, uh, of crises. And I would say it's a region entirely unprepared. There's now slowly emerging a debate about the necessity to coordinate the response in a better way. Um, but what, what really struck me in the conversations uh, with Venezuelans who have left the country is that it's largely the political developments. It's, I mean, these people have uh, endured, uh, you know, scarcity, uh, you know, have gone hungry for, for months. Really? But I think it's the perception that things aren't going to change anytime soon that uh, leads particularly younger people to take that decision to actually uh, leave everything behind and face an entirely uh, unknown decision is when they realize that there isn't really a big chance that things will change for the next five, 10 years, that even if the government falls, it doesn't really make much of a difference, and that it is, it is necessary either to survive, but also to somehow you know, uh, you know, find a stable job or be able to support family back home to, uh, to take quite tremendous risk and, uh, and leave the country and seek possibilities in neighboring countries, which are all also facing uh, economic difficulties. I mean, it's none of these countries uh, has any kind of government program uh, in place to help uh, newcomers. And all of these countries have significant amounts of poor people, which makes it politically very, very difficult for governments to, to adopt measures that help migrants integrate into societies and provide basic, uh, you know, public services, considering that parts of the population in those countries doesn't have access to those kinds of services, uh, you know, like sewage or housing or basic education. Well, you pointed to the <clears throat> principal frontline states, Brazil, Colombia, Peru, even Argentina and Ecuador. Uh, are there any, um, you know, kind of concerted efforts on on the part of any of these to uh, of these states to um, really tackle this enormous outflow of uh, of uh, migrants uh, from Venezuela well I think uh, over the past years a lot of the attempts have been focusing on solving the political crisis in Venezuela right and I think the region has failed. Yeah, uh, squarely failed. I mean, there's there's no way to, to talk around that. I think uh, particularly Brazil and Argentina uh, bear a lot of responsibility for not having been able to influence 
the country at a time when it was still possible. I mean, I remember uh, 2014 and 2015, uh, Venezuela was not yet in crisis. Very few people had left, but it was pretty obvious that the economic model chosen uh, by Maduro in particular, but also by Chavez before that, would eventually lead to the implosion of a country which, even when oil prices were still relatively high, was spending way more uh, than it had. So uh, I think, uh, you know, those are previous governments, both Brazil and Argentina, which were focusing on short-term economic gains, uh, which certainly existed in the bilateral relationship, but which were unwilling or unable to influence the political situation in Venezuela. I think now, particularly because of the tremendous internal challenges that both Brazil and Argentina face, there's really nobody with the uh, diplomatic legitimacy or the capacity, the energy to actually, uh, you know, influence what's happening in Venezuela. So the response has been largely uh, palliative. So it's been an attempt to anticipate better the number of people uh, leaving uh, Venezuela. And it's uh, above all in the, in the, uh, the, the regions uh, most affected by migrants, it's a public health crisis. A lot of Venezuelans mm-hmm. only also leave the moment, for example, they run out of medicine or, you know, because uh, a lot of women leave because they're about to give birth and they realize uh, there's no basic medicine uh, available should there be any complications, for example. Uh, so this has been quite a challenge, I think, for countries uh, in, uh, in the region. And I think governments have so far failed to articulate a clear narrative to their own populations uh, as to why uh, they need to keep the borders open. I think there have been a lot of even moderate politicians saying that the solution is to close the border, to build a wall, all these kinds of things, (laughs) which if you look at the, uh, you know, the geography, I mean, those, you know, these are, it's not only that these countries have an obligation, obviously, to take in people, uh, but it's also not viable at all. I mean, these are, uh, uh, you know, long borders, many of them cut through the, uh, the Amazon. So basically any kind of attempt, any, any attempt to limit the migration would nearly uh, force migrants to take greater risks, to pay more money to smugglers. Uh, so this is a situation I think which will profoundly change um, the region, have a huge impact on regional dynamics for years to come, mm-hmm. uh, particularly because really Venezuela doesn't have any easy way out. Okay. So, uh, so if uh, Maduro fell tomorrow. So, so tell me, Oliver, uh, you know, one of the evident uh, aspects of Latin American politics, of course, is that uh, there are numerous regional uh, groupings and regional organizations. So why has there been so little effort from these regional institutions uh, to contain uh, the crisis. I'm, I'm speaking here specifically about, you know, the refugees, maybe also the politics, but certainly the refugees. Well, uh, I think a lot of uh, people looking at Latin America from the outside tend to uh, believe that because of, you know, uh, similarities when it comes to language uh, or, you know, the fact that uh, most countries speak the very same language, that those countries are integrated. But if you actually look at the day-to-day politics and economics, uh, you know, particularly South America is not very integrated, actually. Infrastructure connects countries is incipient. Uh, a lot of the, for example, Brazil does most of its trade not with its neighbors, but right. with, uh, you know, China, 
followed by the European Union, for example. So um, there isn't really a what I call a regional conversation about sort of, you know, what are the key challenges of, that South America faces? This is a debate that, you know, you have at a couple of universities, uh, but even at, uh, you know, big international relations departments of the major universities, it's really quite common to have international relations faculty, which has barely visited any of the neighboring countries mm-hmm. in South America. Okay. Uh, very, very different, for example, than in, uh, in Europe, where you have, uh, you know, constant, uh, you know, constant dialogue between universities, between governments, uh, where you have, you know, exchange programs, open borders, business-wise, etc. Uh, so I think uh, this is an entirely new pro- uh, problem, despite the fact that everybody could have sort of foreseen this. Uh, I think people are still, or governments are still unprepared uh, as to how to react to this kind of uh, situation. Uh, I think there's, there, I mean, there's no uh, established regional platform to align, for example, uh, each country's responses to align, uh, for uh, you know, the bureaucracy involved in taking in refugees, uh, in, you know, registering them, in mm-hmm. monitoring the situation. So all this is kind of uh, being created now on the cheap very quickly. Um, and again, uh, because of the uh, risk uh, for nationalists, of course, uh, who will do whatever it takes to you know, blame the incoming refugees for uh, any kinds of uh, domestic problems, I think there's really quite a significant risk uh, that this will cause a wave of xenophobia, of nationalism, which will, of course, increase the, the political cost of adopting sensible refugee policies. Hmm. Um, where, um, you know, in the context of this crisis, where has the Trump administration kind of uh, come into play with respect to to this crisis, if at all? Um, Well, it's interesting because I think Venezuela, the crisis in Venezuela in a way gives us a sense of of how things in the future uh, may play out because uh, it's a country where uh, China plays a tremendously important role, where uh, Russia plays an important role. The United States is still uh, Venezuela's major trading partner, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, China is now by far its biggest investor. And I think Russia is an important strategic partner along with Cuba, uh, which still has a lot of economic and uh, a lot of political influence, particularly at the top. Uh, it's uh, also a crisis where basically the region has given up on uh, seeking to influence the situation. I think it's clearly a uh, regional power vacuum that has emerged uh, where basically all the uh, neighboring countries uh, depend now on what happens in Beijing, Moscow, Washington, or Havana uh, when it comes to guessing the future of Venezuela, even though they have to bear the brunt of this uh, of this crisis. Um, so uh, I think the, uh, uh, the, the Trump administration uh, has been relatively hesitant uh, over the past uh, months, rightly so, uh, there have been uh, several moments of strong rhetoric uh, about, for example, the unwillingness to exclude a military option, which mm-hmm. played into the hands of the uh, Maduro administration as well, because it uh, seems to confirm uh, the rhetoric that the, the source of the economic problems of Venezuela are, uh, you know, is, is an international plot, is a, a U.S. A strategy to bring down this government, uh, even though the economic sanctions that are being imposed are individual sanctions uh, being imposed on particular members of the elite. They're not uh, sectorial 
sanction, sanctions. So it's clearly uh, not the case that uh, the crisis of Venezuela is due to uh, you know foreign actors. Uh, I would say that um, the more frequent or, or the more serious the debates about uh, U.S. engagement uh, in Venezuela uh, become, uh, the worse, let's say, for the situation in the country, because I think it will inevitably polarize uh, the uh, debate about the crisis in uh, in Latin America. I think there's a lot of, because of also U.S., the history of U.S. engagement in the region, right. I think there's really very little that the United States can do uh, other than offering humanitarian aid and somehow uh, hoping for the emergence of a strong uh, president in uh, in South America who could perhaps uh, 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 create an alliance of countries. And I'm looking here at uh, perhaps uh, Ecuador's president, who uh, is originally left-wing, but who's quite pragmatic, is capable right. of, of, of maintaining a dialogue uh, with uh, all parts of the ideological spectrum. And who's thankfully now called for a regional meeting uh, this month to discuss a more coordinated uh, policy response. Um, so I think the United States could be part of a group of countries that seeks to engage Venezuela or, or that seeks to uh, you know, prepare any kind of uh, humanitarian response or lead a humanitarian response. But uh, I would say any kind of attempt to lead this effort by the United States is probably going to backfire. All right. So, so um, and I take it then neither the United Nations nor, you know, the regional institutions, the OAS, see themselves as playing a uh, playing roles in the humanitarian side, not the not the political side, but in the humanitarian side. Well, the, the problem so far has been that uh, the Venezuelan government doesn't accept humanitarian aid at this stage. And it's interesting, I, I spoke to two Venezuelans who had left the country, and they said, uh, this is basically the moment we realized there was no hope because the situation gets so bad that people, you know, that a lot of people already, uh, you know, children are starving in right. some parts of the country, etc. And if the government, despite the this situation, which is quite apparent to, to many Venezuelans, uh, does not accept humanitarian aid. It means that it will, under no circumstances, uh, uh, accept this kind of help uh, as long as it's in power, partly because it would undermine uh, the capacity of the armed forces which control the distribution of scarce goods uh, and the capacity to obviously sell parts of the black market. If you suddenly have the UN coming in and distribute food well, for free. Uh, all right. Uh, I understand you know, that the UN may not be welcome in Venezuela, but surely there's a pr the prospect along the borders, as we've seen in the crisis in Syria, you can set up uh, refugee centers along the borders, and that would entail not Venezuelan uh, support, but, you know, either Brazilian... International or, support. Right, right, Brazilian, Colombian, Peruvian support. Is that not uh, a realistic possibility? I think that, uh, that I think it is a possibility. Uh, I think that um, uh, hopefully the the meeting that will take place now okay. uh, will uh, articulate more clearly what is exactly needed. Uh, there's really been, and I think this has uh, given rise to a lot of you know fake news because, <laughs> uh, particularly in Colombia and also in Ecuador, there are no hard facts. I mean, uh, governments right. aren't aware 
of how many people have come in. I mean, these are a lot of these numbers are wild estimates. Um, a lot of Venezuelans are unaware of their rights. There's a lot of exploitation taking place uh, by you know uh, people who, uh, for example, find Venezuelans who've just crossed the border and basically say, "I'm protecting you from the police, but you have to work on my farm uh, for a couple of months uh, for no pay." So I think there's quite a large number of people just unaccounted for at this stage. Uh, I think uh, in the media, uh, in the the next couple of months, I think we will have uh, a broader engagement by the UN, mm-hmm. uh, which is absolutely crucial because I think the sense that governments are unprepared, that there's a lack of strategy, uh, uh, will help uh, nationalist candidates. And I think it's not really uh, the day-to-day engagement with refugees that makes people worry. It's the images on television of, you know, lots of people sleeping on the streets in the border regions, which generates a sense of anxiety, uh, even in, in, in cities thousands of miles away. Uh, you know, there's this uh, wave of people coming in. I think it's important to remember that despite the severity of the crisis, 2.3 million people, it is still a relatively small number considering that you have more than 400 million people living in South America. I would think it's not entirely implausible for this number to double, for the number of Venezuelans who are leaving to double. Most of those would come to South, to South America because those are very poor people. Uh, but let's say this number goes up to 3 million or even 4 million, it's still possible uh, to actually distribute uh, these people evenly uh, in the region and then really avoid a uh, political impact. However, uh, if that fails, I think there's quite a chance that not only in Brazil, but in other countries too, that will lead to sort of a, uh, a, lot, a rise of xenophobia nationalism, hmm. uh, which could even negatively impact uh, regional integration on a broader scale. So you see it as potentially having a real impact on the politics of the region. Absolutely. I think that um, this, uh, the, the idea that uh, Latin America should be more integrated, particularly with Brazil engaging, is so recent. I mean, the first sitting Brazilian president who visited Colombia uh, did so in the 1980s. Mm-hmm. You know, these are very recent ties. Uh, Brazil and Argentina uh, had a, a serious uh, security competition, a serious rivalry taking place until the 1980s. Right. So a lot of you know people who are in power today can still very much remember a time in which Brazil had very, very limited uh, ties to any of its, uh, its neighboring countries. Uh, so there's still, I think, you know, this, is, this isn't something that's sort of culturally ingrained and necessity to, uh, to, to work clo- uh, closer with neighboring countries. I think it's still a relatively new idea uh, it still requires, you know, constant support. Mm-hmm. And if uh, the majority of the population starts to associate regional integration to, you know, migrants coming in, basically considering starting to see the region not as an opportunity, but as a threat, uh, then I think uh, you immediately have a lot of candidates who, as I said, will blame, uh, you know, outside the, the, the outside world or whatever what takes place beyond the, uh, the national borders uh, for any kinds of, of problems. Wow. Uh, and then you have sort of a, a build-a-wall mentality coming up, which is already existent. I think it's a, 
I think this is a, this is a surprising, uh, I would say, appalling number of uh, I, what I thought of as serious, uh, you know, uh, political observers or policymakers who have reverted this kind of rhetoric, uh, despite the fact that the number of people with so far coming is so quite quite low. I mean, it's a, it's a bit more than fifty thousand Venezuelans in Brazil. Brazil has, you know, not really taken in many people because. Uh, it requires, it, you know, Venezuelans will have to cross the entire country to the little populated south of Venezuela to then migrate into the little populated uh, north of Brazil. Uh, so quite difficult for them to, to to get there. And despite, you know, this low number, we, we have seen mob scenes, we have seen uh, attacks on migrants taking place in the border regions. Really? Uh, so absolutely, yes, I think there's a significant risk. And that's why it's so important, because I think the gains that we've seen in uh, regional integration in Latin America uh, are reversible. And I think it's, uh, it's necessary to make sure uh, that the gains that we've seen over the past years uh, need to uh, you know, actively be defended and that the refugee rights crisis like that could lead to a return of a much more uh, uh, isolationist mentality mm. uh, and a lot more skepticism in the public debate when it comes to regional integration. Well, I really appreciate your views on this, uh, Oliver, as, uh, you know, the, I think it's a crisis that, I mean, there's some discussion of it in terms of Venezuela, uh, the political scene, but it's the refugee aspect, which I think has not gotten the kind of uh, exposure that uh, that uh, is probably necessary in terms of trying to deal with uh, with the problem. So thank you very Absolutely. much. Absolutely, thank you thank very you much. Thank you for having me.